love Ted Cruz's appearance at all. All right. Well, hey, that's all we got. That's all we got. Uh, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 18. So please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are completing the book of Hebrews today so that Dr. Young won't lap us. And uh, so here we are. We're picking up a couple verses that we didn't have time for last week. So we'll go verse 18 through the end of the chapter and book. And this is God's word. Now, may the God of, excuse me, verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray one more time. Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, if you've ever been uh, rappelling or uh, whitewater rafting or rock climbing or zip lining or parasailing or whatever, in all of those instances, you just don't like jump off the face of a cliff. I mean, the guy doesn't go, hey, here's a rope. Let's see how you do uh, going down this this rock face. Uh, Rather, they equip you. They give you a helmet, they give you all the stuff, the harness, the this, they give you lessons, they tell you what to do, and they equip you for the the task, all right? Well, we spoke last week of the result to which the entire book of Hebrews points. Um, And remember, it's not necessarily a book as we think of a book, it's really a letter. It's a letter written by a pastor to a congregation, a flock that this pastor knows, all right? And so, and by the way, it's been said that it takes an hour to read the book of Hebrews, a little less than an hour. So it's basically an hour-long sermon uh, written to them. Um, and I'll say this too, that it's, a, um, it's not a pastor loving them with a large L, a capital L. It's, it's a pastor loving them with a small L. I mean, he really does know them intimately. He knows what they're going through. He's trying to address them, find them where they are. This is a very intimate uh, pastoral care letter. And he knows that not only are they feeling pressures from outside uh, on in, but they're feeling pressures from within the church. That is, uh, people trying to um, introduce things to the gospel that would add to the cross of Christ. Now, the word antichrist is a potent word, isn't it? When you hear the word antichrist, you go, oh, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a big word. It's like a, da- a scary word, a danger word. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, No matter, and this is per this letter, the truth is no matter how dazzling and attention-grabbing a uh, piece of theology might be, uh, anything that adds to the saving cross of Jesus Christ is anathema. You know what anathema means? Paul uses it in Galatians uh, 1. It's used one other time, I believe, uh, in the New Testament. But an anathema, if something is anathema, it means um, abomination, 
It's an abomination. It's an outrage, an abhorrence, a disgrace, an evil. It's repugnant, odious, repellent, offensive. Uh, it's something to be vigorously denounced. And lastly, uh, and, and for our purposes, accursed. If something is anti-Christ, it is accursed. If something is added to the cross of Christ, um, it is anathema and something the opposite of what is sacred, the opposite of what you should hook your belief system to. So the point in saying all that is this. This pastor knows that the Christian life is full of dangers, real dangers, Uh, dangers um, that come from being reckless with holy things, dangers that come from um, taking the most sacred thing of all to the sinner, which is the exclusive work of Jesus Christ and tampering with it. You do that, and it's not another gospel. Um, so, and, and your soul may be in peril, and certainly uh, your spiritual health will be in peril. So uh, it's this pastor's great concern that the gospel of Jesus Christ is articulated and protected within this precious flock. So we go to our big idea today here. Uh, I think it is this. God equips you to do his will. And I get that right from the passage. It says that uh, in verse 21, uh, that he will equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, uh, working in uh, us that it, uh, which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So that's right from the passage. God equips you to do his will. And it's really the whole flight path of this book, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, God has done 100% of the redeeming as a gift to you. And He hasn't forgotten about you in this life. He equips you for living. He just doesn't say, here's a rope, let's see if you make it over the edge. He equips you for the Christian life. He hasn't forgotten about you. He he works in you that which is pleasing in his sight. So let's look at our first point. There's four of them. The first one is this, the shepherds sent by a shepherd. This is where we ran out of time last week, uh, but it fits very naturally with the message. Look at verse uh, 18. Scripture writer says, whoever that may be, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience and so on. We'll explain that in a second. But just that that he says, pray for us. Is is that not um, a a poignant thing? Um, It's right on the command, the end of the command in verse 17, obey your leaders, submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls. And you know, as we said last time, um, the leaders submitting to them, that includes, of course, the apostolic authority. It includes uh, apostles uh, like, um, you know, Matthew and uh, like John and uh, people who were near the apostles or under the authority of the apostles, like Luke, for instance. Um, not Paul, because why? Paul was appointed by Jesus Christ as an apostle. So it's the apostles or those near the apostles, but this isn't limited to just those people. It's also church leaders. It's elders. It's people who serve you in your church. And it's also you as you lead other people in various ministry capacities and even in your homes. We're to submit to leaders. Uh, we're to obey them for they're keeping watch over uh, souls. And, um, you know, they've been appointed to lead you. You've heard me say this before, that some of the most effective uh, pastors are those who secretly dream of, way, of ways of getting out of it. Um, and the reason is, uh, it's not like, oh, I've always wanted to do this, and oh, it's going to be the thing that I, I'm going to go serve in the church, and, and I wear a little collar, and that's, it's going to be the thing that fulfills me. 
uh, my occupational uh, jonesings. That's not it at all. God calls people. He says, I want you to do a work. I want you to do it here. And you go, yes, Lord, even if it's hard. Yes, even if it's hard. What if it's super hard right this minute and I want to leave? Well, uh, wherever I call you, that's where I want you to go, and I'm going to equip you to be there. And so the, the point is, obey your leaders and submit to them because they've been called. These shepherds have been called by the great shepherd, uh, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So, ladies and gentlemen, to whom must your leaders give an account? To whom do the elders of your church give an account? The great shepherd of the sheep. So support them, submit to them, obey them. They're keeping watch over your souls, and they're doing it in a way that they understand that they've got to give an account to the big boss, the Lord Christ. That's why it's so critical. Now, um, who is the us here? Uh, In verse 18, pray for us. Uh, Isn't it interesting that you've got God the Father and God the Son who send God the Holy Spirit who equips saints, who appoints leaders, who uh, starts a work and will complete that work, who preserveth until the end. And at the same time, the writer of Hebrews is saying, oh, by the way, pray for us, would you? Isn't that a healthy and wonderful picture? Um, God's doing this great labor. It's all through the book of Hebrews. and, And yet the writer says, pray for us. And so who is the us? It's likely the writer here uh, and Timothy. And you've heard me say, uh, really, on the front end of the the whole book, there's a huge debate. If if, uh, I think Ron Goss, if if you have a King James Version, it probably says um, something something of the Apostle Paul at the beginning, right? Letter of the Apostle Paul or epistle. What does it say? The epistle of Paul the Apostle. Um, uh, Highly uh, thought not to be true. Um, there's, there's a mysterious writer of the book of Hebrews. Um, and there are some things in there that are compelling, like the uh, benediction is at the end is the same thing as at the end of Titus. And you go, well, look, it's the same thing as the end of Titus. And, and there's Timothy pops up there. And um, so it's thought to be that this is someone who has been close to the Apostle Paul and Timothy, but uh, not necessarily the Apostle Paul because of stylistic things, but also the time period. I'm just, gonna, I'm just I'm riffing right now, but the time period... Um, yeah, let me just skip it. It's not the Apostle Paul, I don't think. Um, so it's probably this nameless brother, and uh, he's with Timothy and some others, some church leaders and elders and shepherds and so, uh, so forth. But he says, pray for us. Uh, they direct people um, to, to pray. Now, there's a significant message in that, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, they are equipped by God for all things. Uh, yes, their souls are settled. Um, it, verse 18, by the way, pray for us. We, we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. They're, they're saying, we're sure that we've given you the gospel message as has been articulated to us in the power of the Spirit. We're sure of the message that has been sent. We're sure that we've acted clear and honorably in all that. We know what we've given you. We know the, the message that we've delivered to you. And uh, so we were sent by God. We're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know it, but please pray for us. Um, You know, the Apostle Paul himself in 2 Corinthians uh, 2 says, uh, who is sufficient for these things? And then he goes on to say, I've been commissioned by God in the sight uh, of God. We uh, speak in Christ. Um, 
And, and he says in verse uh, 30 of Romans 15, strive together in your prayers to God on my behalf. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, you must help us by prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, he says, praying at all times, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Um, no hesitation to say, God is doing this work, but please pray for us. We need uh, prayer. How does that apply to you? I would say this, friends, you're not just uh, showing up on Sunday, plopping down, gimme, 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 and out the door you go, and then you, you, now, you're a, now you've had a church experience. It is not that. It is the family of God. We are growing up and old together. God uses us to influence other people, and he uses people to influence us. We're brothers and sisters. We're sons and daughters. We're brethren, and we need each other. Um, You're members of Christ's mission, which includes living a Christ-like, spirit-filled life uh, before a watching world, and it includes that. It also includes longing to uh, worship with God's gathered people. If you don't have a, a, a yearning, to gather with God's people and be in worship, then you do not have spiritual health. It is impossible to be spiritually healthy if you are not gathering in worship with God's people. That's not a human invention. Christ put that together. So you're not healthy if you're not longing to be gathered. Also, your uh, members of Christ's mission, it includes supporting ministries with your person, and with your prayers. You know, I, I've always said that you don't need a spiritual gifts test to show up to stuff. How can I be involved? I really want to make a difference. Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a ministry event that's kind of dying or limping. You ever been to one of those where you walk in and you go, eee, whoa, this looks like a real clunker. Well, guess how you fix that? Showing up. And if everybody shows up, then it's not a clunker. Um, you, you can do a whole lot of spiritual good just by being faithful to a ministry that God's put down in front of you. But then lastly, and to this point, ladies and gentlemen, um, you're needed as a supporter of your ministers because they, we, I, we're flawed and uh, we're limping and uh, uh, it's often not easy. And I, I got to tell you, I, as I was reading this and studying it, I was thinking, you know, there have been some times in my life where I'll <clears throat> look back on something that was like seven years ago, and I'll go, man, that was a really hard time seven years ago. And then somebody will happen to mention to me, yeah, you know, we were really praying hard for you. Uh, three months, uh, for three months, blah, 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 I prayed every Thursday morning for you. And you go, wow. And you look back at your life and you go, did I make it because somebody was praying for me? I mean, how, did, how, I don't know how God works that all out in the counsel of his will. I don't. But I do know that he bids us come. He invites us pray, and, um, and uh, he, he has his messengers saying, pray for us, pray for us, pray for your ministers, pray for your church, pray for me, ladies and gentlemen. We need it, and um, we're, we're, we're equipped, but, um, but God uses your prayers as part of the equipment. All right, uh, next point, the God of peace. We now move on to... Uh, a benediction here. Um, it says, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, and so on. But let's stop on the phrase, the God of peace. Of all the ways God has been described in the Bible, and there are many, many ways from his being long-suffering uh, to his, uh, his uh, being um, 
steadfast in his love, uh, to him having all the the consummate power, to his faithfulness, to his jealousy, to his holiness, his righteousness, and so on, his love, um, of all the ways God has described himself in his word. um, Here he is described as the God of peace. Uh, And that's something very intimate, isn't it, in the context of the gospel, that he's the God of peace? Um, Because um, in Romans 5.10... There's a word. It's the word that Dr. Young uses in a wedding ceremony. It's the word enemies. It always freaks out the people who are visiting. I'm not here uh, going to bless two of God's enemies. And uh, there's always like 14 people in the room that are like, what the hey? I mean, do you not know what year it is? Enemies? What are you talking about? Well, he's quoting Romans 5.10. We were enemies. In other words, who needed to be saved from the wrath of God? Why were we enemies? Why did we need to be saved from the wrath of God? Because we were guilty. We transgressed against his law. That's why people feel shame welling up in their hearts. It's not a cultural pressure. It's called conscience built into you. The relationship has changed due to sin. The relationship with a human being and and God. Uh, God has gone uh, in Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, from offended to father. Uh, We have gone from enemy to a son and a daughter in Jesus Christ. It's changed everything. It's changed the relationship. And now he is the God of peace. Here's the basis for that, verse 20. He's the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, In other words, God, um, the God of peace, raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus wasn't defeated by death. He defeated it. Um, unlike other religious figures who are dead. Jesus is not dead. If he's dead, our whole gospel's thrown out. He's not dead. He's at the right hand of the Father, holding kingly session, interceding even now, pointing to the work that was done on the cross in the holy courtrooms of God. Even now, he's a living Savior, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, He has risen above it and conquered death. And so, God is a God of peace, Because Jesus is living. So application for your life. Doesn't everybody crave peace? I mean, everybody wants it. We want it. Uh, We're uh, appalled by a lack of it uh, out in the world that we see. And uh, every generation likes to think that they can solve the peace problem. And uh, this, this this millennial generation is no different. We want to solve the peace problem. We're almost there. We are almost, if we just all pull together and we keep on being nice and we're just, we're just so close worldwide. Oh, Brexit! You ruined it for a little while, but we were almost there. Ladies and gentlemen, that just goes on after generation after generation after generation. We want to make a difference. Well, it's good to make a difference. It's good to do good. It's good to bring a pr- fresh perspective and energy and good joints uh, to, the, to the world. It's good. But this idea that we're almost there is, is, is as ridiculous as a fallen Roman Empire and a fallen British Empire and on and on and a Ming Dynasty and the Mayans and all these other civilizations. We almost got it. It's ridiculous. The only way to peace is the, is the way God, that God has provided in the Savior. How can we solve this, ladies and gentlemen, is, is not just a... a cultural question. It's a, it's a belief system. Um, the, the answer, and it's a humanistic belief system, the answer is it can only be solved by the God of peace 
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Here's the reality of the world. If there's no personally active God, he doesn't even exist, then the canons of what is right and wrong are only dictated by whatever culture happens to pop up. Well, you know, we all just kind of collectively think this is right and this is wrong, and so that's what's right and wrong. But what's, what's the problem with that? Cultural mores have all cultures through all history doing this all the time. They're changing all the time. If you don't have a God, if you don't have a standard uh, of, of good and bad, um, all you have is the cultural norms. But if there's a standard outside of us by someone who is holy, 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 who doesn't change, who holds truth, who is the standard of righteousness and what is love, what is loving, then, boy, that's a big problem for a sinner. And it can only be solved by the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. That's the gospel message. All right, third point. The great shepherd of the sheep. Um, In verse 20, it continues. He says, uh, uh, brought from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Um, this shepherd of the sheep is uniquely qualified, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the blood of the covenant, the, a, a covenant, um, is this kind of somewhat mysterious word that, that preachers use, and, and uh, they explain it, and at the end, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, preachers will explain the word covenant, seminary professors will explain the word covenant, and uh, you go, oh, yeah, and when you leave and you get in the car, you're like, what the heck does that mean again? There's always like this kind of like nebulous idea around it, but it's really not that hard to understand. All you got to do is think of a marriage. I mean, the preacher says, um, this is why if I, when, I, when, I, when I get to do a, a wedding ceremony someday, well, like when I'm 81, um, and, and somebody says, we've written our vows, I'm going to say, we're not going to use your vows. I will always, I think you're so wonderful, and I, the time you made me laugh, that's, 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 I'm not slamming anybody who's done that. A little I am. <laughs> but it's not I get to write some vows. It's, if you notice, it's, it's, will you, Sarah, do this and this and this and this till death separates you? I will. Will you, Henry, do this and this and this? It's not, ah, blah, 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 blah. It's, will you? Yes. Will you? Yes. You're making an, an, an arrangement. It's a covenantal arrangement. There are stipulations. There are conditions. I will do it. I will do it. Boom. That's a covenant. Not hard to understand. So it's saying, Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, that means that things have been agreed upon, uh, that God has said, I'm going to do a thing. And he accomplishes that thing through an eternal covenant. And what's the what's the What's the hinge upon which it all swings? The blood of the eternal covenant. Now think about that. Think about um, the uh, Israelite sacrificial system. Sounds so weird and goofy to us because we didn't grow up on a farm and see animals butchered and and stuff like that. Um, We just go to Kroger and just pick it up. But um, think about centuries of priests making a daily offering, a daily offering, a daily offering. Blood is shed, blood is shed, blood is shed. It's a normal part of Israelite existence. They say, well, the priests are interceding for us. They're um, the mediation between us 
and God, sinners and the Holy One, and every day they make a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, blood, blood, and, and they have centuries of this. And then the Savior comes along, Jesus, and uh, now everything's changed. Now, guess what? The sacrifices get to stop. You know why? Because the final sacrifice has come. Hey, you know what else? Uh, the prophetic word gets to stop. You know why? Because the final prophet has come. I mean, you know, uh, even at the beginning of the book, it says, um, hey, long ago, first words of the whole book of Hebrews, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, now, in other words, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. The final word has come. Final sacrifice, the final prophet, the final king, the final priest, all fulfilled in Jesus. It's all pointed to him after all this time, the blood of the eternal covenant. The question, ladies and gentlemen, though, is this. Who are the two parties in the covenant, this blood of the eternal covenant? It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Who are the parties in the covenant? I'll tell you, the parties in the covenant is the God, is God the Father, the God of peace, and our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. They're the ones that make a compact. It's not an afterthought. It's an intentionally placed one. Uh, then in verse 21, that says, to equip you with every good thing that you may uh, do his will, working uh, his will in his sight. Um, the spotlight is on God who makes a covenant, blood covenant with Jesus, and the goal is to equip you that you might operate in God's will. All right, our last point. Um, the word of summary. Let's uh, look at verse 22 to the end. I appeal to you, brothers... Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. All right, so he's wrapping up the letter. He's saying goodbye. Hey, uh, all of us here miss you, and I hope to join you soon, and so on. Um, and then in verse 25, here's the final word. I just love how the book ends. Grace be with all of you. That's the final word. And of course, the all of you are those who um, have been caught up in this thing called grace, who uh, have embraced the Savior. Grace be with all of you. First off, grace is very specific, specifically uh, uh, applied. The, the, the y'all are the regenerate. But the final word is grace. And the final word has invitation. It's saying, come to the God of grace. Come to the God who gives peace because of his grace. Um, Christ is the final prophetic word, and here's the final pastoral word, grace. It's the same message brought by the suffering sacrifice who made a way unto God when there was no way before. I close with this. You know, there's a, I've had several people come up and go, oh man, you should have seen Superman versus Batman because uh, Lex Luthor made a theological statement in there. Anybody see that movie? Uh, oh, anybody love it? Okay, uh, just Joey, sorry. Sorry, I, ha I had to retire from superhero movies for a while. Uh, just, hey, hey, we're going to save, and now they're fighting each other. It's like, I don't understand what's going on. Anyway, um, but Lex Luthor makes a theological statement. People are like, ooh, chin scratching. Uh, it's been around for a long time, uh, this, this 
conundrum, okay, since Greek philosophy has been around. All right, and here, let me just give you a couple of, I just got this off the internet. Um, the logical argument goes like this. If um, God's got all the power, he's got all the knowledge, and he's good, if that God exists, then evil can't exist. Um, and, but here's the problem. There's evil in the world. So that must mean that there's not a God with all the power and all the knowledge and all the goodness, if there's evil. That's, that's the conundrum. That's Lex Luthor. Um, here's another way to put it from a kind of a different angle. Um, God exists. Let's say the premise is God exists. Okay? Um, he's uh, got all the power, he's got all the knowledge, and he's good. Well, if he's good, he'd want to prevent all evils, right? If he's good, he wouldn't want to have evil, so he would prevent it. Um, if he knows everything, he knows uh, all the forms of evil and how to, uh, how to uh, stifle them. Um, and if he's got all the power, then he can do it. But there's evil in the world, so God can't exist. All right, that's the classic argument. It's old, 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 older than Superman versus Batman. Um, but let me read you this really great quote from this, this guy who has just been a huge help to me. Um, I've agreed with about 98% of what he's written in this book. He is just a, he, he's a, a guy I could be pals with. Um, oh, yeah, he's got a, one dopey thing. You know, here I say I, I say I agree with 98%, but then I've got, like, on the second to last page, I'm like, what the heck are you doing, man? Um, you know, he says something like, I'm straying from my notes here, as you can see. Um, he says, blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's a striking similarity with what is perhaps the Apostle Paul's greatest doxology. And when people write like that, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's so reckless. I mean, his greatest doxology, Paul's greatest verse, you can't do that. You can say, oh, it ministered to me deeply. God really used that in my life. Oh, it's a very important one to support this theological position, this verse. But you just don't go, oh, it's one of the Apostle Paul's greatest doxologies. It's so bad. Anyway, Here's what's so good. Let me, one page back is so dang good. Listen to this. Where is God in all this sorrow and suffering is the accusation. It's a valid accusation, isn't it? Hey, you look around the world and you go, the, the, the whole world's broken. Anybody can see it. Where is God in all this sorrow and suffering? The accusation continues. If there is a God, why, isn't he, why doesn't he just do something? Same argument as that, only, only, you know, made more concise. We are pointing our fingers at God. Well, in his courts of justice, the situation is quite reversed. It is we who are being pointed to. It is we who are under just accusation. And it is not to us that God himself points as his wrath goes forth, but to his own beloved son. Can you see that that's the gospel? God pours out. He just doesn't go, he just doesn't go oh, well, I'm just going to kind of forget about all that. He can't do it. If he did, he wouldn't be holy, holy, holy. If he did, he wouldn't be the, the, the consummate source of justice. And so he has to pour out wrath upon sin. Where does he do it? On his own son, who lived the perfect human life and was thus eligible to take the fall. This writer continues. In a manner more arresting than any we could conceive, God has done the most astonishing thing. We want a divine wave of the hand to take all our troubles away, but God, 
whose holiness makes such a farce unthinkable, uh, demanding a full accounting for a sin. He himself has come into our world. That's the story, ladies and gentlemen. What, what did we need? We needed the righteousness of God. What didn't we have? That. So the righteousness of God came into the world and came um, to be a, a, a sin, um, came to be accursed for us. He came to be anathema for us uh, that we might be set free. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the writer of Hebrews. And thank you for sticking with it till the end. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that um, you would smooth out the um, rough edges of anything I might have said. And take holy, hopeful truth and penetrate souls with it, Lord. Would you do that? Um, Would you take uh, those who see the suffering and hurt in this world and say, I am the answer because I am the God of peace, and I've forged it through the great shepherd of the sheep, through a blood covenant made that will hold up eternally. Would you do that, Lord? Would you draw people unto your own self for your glory and for their good and for their soul satisfaction? For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.